This is Bringing Value to You with Brian Quick. Hello, everybody who is still here with Bringing Value to You with Brian Quick. If you are still here and you are still subscribed, oh my word, thank you so much. And I just want to first formally apologize to all you guys and gals who have been out there waiting for me to post another episode on a weekly basis and it never happened. Guys, from, uh, let's see, June all the way to now, we have moved to Nashville, Tennessee. I've been on tour um, for quite a bit and I have now a new recording space. I have a new office. I am about to launch a new subscription program on my website. Um, I have a new leadership um, subscription-based program coming on my website as well. And I'm running drum camps left and right. It's been so crazy. And I have just really honestly missed podcasting and talking to you guys and just expressing what I'm going through and or expressing what's on my mind. So I am back. Bringing value to you is back. I know I said this once already, so I understand that I have to build a little bit of trust there. I'm with you. Guys, I'm, I'm here. I'm here. I'm ready. I'm ready to inspire. I'm ready to communicate and connect with you guys. Um, feel free to shoot me an email at brianquickpodcast at gmail.com. That's it, brianquickpodcast at gmail.com. I would love just to hear about how you are doing. Okay, so I'm going to go and get started. Let's go into this. I don't want to waste too much time. I've said my apology, and now I'm ready to get going. So I want to talk about desire. Desire. And before I actually start talking about it, I want to read you a story, okay? I want to read you a story about a man who thought his way into partnership with Thomas A. Edison. All right, I'm going to read this to you. Truly, thoughts are things, and powerful, powerful things at that, when they are mixed with definiteness of purpose, persistence, and a burning desire for their translation into riches or other material objects. A little more than 30 years ago, at the time this book was written, this book is called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. It's been way longer than that, but at the time when this book was released, it was 30 years ago. So a little more than 30 years ago, Edwin C. Barnes discovered how true it was that men really do think and grow rich. His discovery did not come about at one sitting. It came little by little, beginning with a burning desire to become a business associate of the great Edison. One of the chief characteristics of Barnes's desire was that it was definite. He wanted to work with Edison, not for him. Observe carefully the description of how he went about translating his desire into reality, and you will have a better understanding of the 13 principles which lead to riches. That's what this book is about, has 30 principles of how to lead to success. When this desire or impulse of thought first flashed into his mind, he was in no position to act upon it. Two difficulties stood in his way. He did not know Mr. Edison and he did not have enough money to pay his railroad fare to Orange, New Jersey. These difficulties were sufficient to have discouraged the majority of men from making any attempt to carry out the desire. But his was no ordinary desire. 
He was so determined to find a way to carry out his desire that he finally decided to travel by blind baggage rather than to be defeated. Okay, blind baggage means to the uninitiated, this means that he went to East Orange on a freight train. Okay, he pretty much hopped on a train illegally. Okay, he presented himself at Mr. Edison's laboratory and announced he had come to go into business with the inventor. And speaking of the first meeting between Barnes and Edison years later, Mr. Edison said, He stood there before me, looking like an ordinary tramp, but there was something in the expression of his face that which he conveyed the impression that he was determined to get what he had come after. I had learned from years of my experience with men that when a man really desires a thing so deeply that he is willing to stake his entire future on a single turn of the wheel in order to get it, he is sure to win. I gave him the opportunity that he asked for, but I saw he had made up his mind to stand by until he succeeded. Subsequent events proved that no mistake was made. Just what young Barnes said to Mr. Edison on the, that occasion was far less important than what which he thought. Edison himself said so. It could not have been the young man's appearance which got him his start in the Edison office, for that was definitely against him. It was what he thought that counted. If the significance of this statement could be conveyed to every person who reads it, there would be no need for the remainder of this book. Barnes did not get his partnership with Edison on his first interview. He did not get a chance to work in the Edison offices at a very nominal wage, doing work that was unimportant to Edison, but most important to Barnes. Excuse me, he did get a chance to work in the Edison offices at a very nominal wage, doing work that was unimportant to Edison, but most important to Barnes, because it gave him an opportunity to display his merchandise where he intended partner could see it. Months went by. Apparently nothing happened to bring the coveted goal which Barnes set, had set up in his mind as his definite major purpose. But something important was happening in Barnes's mind. He was constantly intensifying his desire to become the business associate of Edison. Psychologists have correctly said that when one is truly reading for a, ready for a thing, it puts in its appearance. Barnes was ready for a business association with Edison. Moreover, he was determined to remain ready until he got that which he was seeking. He did not say to himself, Ah, well, what's the use? I guess I'll change my mind and try for a salesman job. But he did say, I came here to go into business with Edison, and I'll accomplish this end if it takes the remainder of my life. He meant it. What a different story men would have to tell if only they would, would adopt a definite purpose and stand by that purpose until it had time to become all-consuming obsession. Maybe young Barnes did not know it at the time, but his bulldog determination, his persistence in standing back of a single desire, was determined to mow down all opposition and bring him the opportunity he was seeking. When opportunity came, it appeared in a different form, a form a different direct, and from a different direction than Barnes had expected. That is one of the tricks of opportunity. It has a sly habit of slipping in by the back door, and often it comes disguised in the form of misfortune or temporary defeat. Perhaps this is why so many fail to recognize opportunity. Mr. Edison had just perfected a new office device, known at the time as the Edison Dictating Machine, now the Ediphone. 
His salesmen were not enthusiastic over the machine. They did not believe it could be sold without great effort. Barnes saw his opportunity. It had crawled in quietly, hidden in a queer-looking machine, which interested no one but Barnes and the inventor. Barnes knew he could sell the Edison dictating machine. He suggested this to Edison and promptly got his chance. He did sell the machine. In fact, he sold it so successfully that Edison gave him a contract to dis distribute it and market it all over the nation. Out of that business association grew the slogan, made by Edison and installed by Barnes. The business alliance has been in operation for more than 30 years. Out of it, Barnes has made himself rich in money, and he has done something in, in infinitely greater that he has proved that one really may think and grow rich. How much actual cash that original desire of Barnes's has been worth to him, I have no way to, of knowing. Perhaps it has brought him two or three million dollars. But the amount, whatever it is, became insignificant when compared with the greater asset he required in the form of a definite knowledge that an intangible impulse of thought can be transmuted into its physical counterpart by the application of known principles. Barnes literally thought himself into partnership with the great Edison. He thought himself into a fortune. He had nothing to start with except the capacity to know what he wanted and that determination to stand by that desire until he realized it. He had no money to begin with. He had but little education. He had no influence, but he did have initiative, faith, and the will to win. With these intangible forces, he made himself number one man with the greatest inventor who ever lived. Guys, what a story. What a story. I mean, I, I've read that story probably ten times, probably more. And I just, every time I read it, it just gets better and better and better and more and more and more inspiring. So I want to talk about desire today. I want to talk about desire. Desire is the starting point of all achievement. If you're taking notes, take this note down. Desire is the starting point of all achievement. Okay, it's the first step. Desire is the very first step. You see, when Edwin C. Barnes climbed down from the freight train in Orange, New Jersey, more than, well, at the time it was 30 years ago, I guess I'm thinking in my mind, it was, well, I don't even know when it was, probably over 100 years ago, he may have resembled a tramp. Because remember, Edison called him a tramp. But his thoughts were those of a king. His thoughts were those of a king. He may have looked like a tramp, but his thoughts were those of a king. You know, as he made, can you imagine as he way as he made his way from the railroad tracks to Thomas A. Edison's office? Like I, his mind, I'm, I bet his mind never stopped. His mind probably never stopped. I bet he saw himself standing in Edison's presence. You have to visualize this. He heard himself asking Mr. Edison for an opportunity to carry out the one consuming obsession of his life: his burning desire to become a business associate. Of the great inventor. You know, Barnes's desire was not a hope, guys. Barnes's desire was not a hope. Barnes's desire was not was not a wish. It was a keen, pulsating desire which transcended everything else. It was definite. Think about your goals and what you want to accomplish. Are they definite? Do you know exactly what you want to accomplish in life. Do you know exactly what you want to accomplish? You know, the, 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 the desire was not new. 
when he got to Edison. The desire had already been birthed. Okay? It had been Barnes's dominating desire for a long time. You know, in the beginning, when the desire first appeared in his mind, it may have been, and probably was, only a wish. But it was no mere wish when he appeared before Edison with it. I believe that. So, you know, even a few years later, Barnes again stood before Edison. I didn't read this. I didn't go further in the book with this, but I'm telling you this story from, from reading it earlier. A few years later, he met the inventor. Okay, again. And this time he had desire to be a translate. What he translated, excuse me, his desire was translated into a reality. He was in business with Edison, and the dominating dream of his life had become a reality. Okay, today, today, people who know Barnes envy him, or people who read the story or have heard the story, they get jealous and envy Barnes because of his of the quote unquote break in his life. But you know what? They see the days and they hear the story of his triumph. We heard this story. I read this story to you in like five minutes. We heard five minutes over over his life. Okay, we didn't talk about, or we don't even know, the trouble that he went through to get to that success. Barnes was successful because he had a definite goal and placed all of his energy and all of his willpower, all of his effort, and everything that he had back into the goal. He did not become the partner of Edison the day he arrived. He didn't make it right away. Why do we give up so easily? He got there, and he didn't get it right away. In fact, he had to start at the bottom. He had to start in the most menial work as long as it provided the opportunity to take him one step toward his cherished goal. We didn't hear about about how long it actually took. What we do know is it took five years before he had the chance to, to make an appearance, to make it another appearance, to approach Edison. It took five years. And during all those years, not one ray of hope, I believe this, not one ray of hope, not one promise of attainment of his desire had been held out to him. Okay, today, today we give up as soon as it just happens. As soon as it doesn't happen for us a day or a weekend, we give up. To everyone except himself, he appeared only another uh, person in the Edison business wheel. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you're meant for more, but you just feel like you're just, just like everyone else that you're working with at your job or whatever you're doing? Okay, but in his own mind, he was already partner with Edison every minute of the time from the very day that he went to work. Think about that. Even though he wasn't, in his mind, he was. It is a remarkable illustration of the power of a definite desire. This story is a powerful story of what a definite desire can do for you, what it can create. Barnes won his goal. Because he wanted to be in business with associate business associate with Mr. Edison more than he wanted anything else. He created a plan by which to attain that purpose, but he burned all bridges behind him. He did what he had to do. Now I'm not telling you to go and cut out the loved ones in your life. What I am telling you though, if you have people being negative around you, you might need to get rid of them. Okay? He stood by his desire until it became the dominating obsession of his life. And finally a fact, a reality, it happened. You see, when he went to Orange, he did not say to himself, 
I will try to I will try to induce uh, Edison to give me a job of some soft. He said, I will see Edison and put him on notice that I have come to go into business with him. He did not say, I will work there for a few months, and if I get no encouragement, I'll just quit. I feel like that's what we do. I feel like in this, in this day and age, if we don't get what we want right there, well, I'm just done. I'm quitting. I'll just go somewhere else. No, no, no. What, what he did say was, I will start anywhere, and I will do anything Edison tells me to do. But before I am through, I will be his associate. He did not say, I will keep my eyes open for another opportunity in case, in case I fail to get what I want in Edison's organization. No, no, no. He said, there is but one thing in this world that I am determined to have, and that is a business association with Thomas A. Edison. I will burn all bridges behind me and stake my entire future on my ability to get what I want. He left himself no possible way of retreat. He had to win or perish. Think about that kind of desire. Think about that. He was either going to win or die. There was no losing. Okay, that's all there is to the Barnes story of success. Okay? I was listening to a, another podcast the other day and this kind of tied into it. And so I'm going to tell you kind of briefly what the story is about. But it was about uh, a long time ago, a great warrior faced a situation which made it necessary for him to make a decision which ensured his success on the battlefield. Um, he was about to send his armies against a powerful foe whose men outnumbered his own. He loaded his soldiers in two boats, sailed them to the enemy's country, unloaded soldiers and equipment, and then gave them the order to burn the ships that he carried them, that had carried them. Addressing his men before the battle, he said, You see these boats going up in smoke? That means that we cannot leave these shores alive unless we win. We, have, we now have no choice. We win or we die. We win or we die. What do you think happened? If you think they won, you're correct. They won. You see, every person who wins in any undertaking must be willing to burn his ships and cut all sources of retreat. Only by doing so can one be sure of maintaining the state of mind known as a burning desire to win, essential to success. You don't want to get distracted. You've got to stay focused. Okay, the morning after the Great Chicago Fire, do you, I don't know if you guys ever remember that, but I mean, I don't even, I believe it was before my time too, but I, I remember hearing about it and reading about it. A group of merchants stood on State Street looking at the smoking remains of what had been their stores. They went into a conference, supposedly, to decide if they would try to rebuild or, or leave Chicago and, and start over in a more promising section of the country. They reached a decision, all except one, to leave Chicago. The merchant who decided to stay and rebuild pointed a finger at the remains of his store and said, Gentlemen, on that very spot I will build the world's greatest store, no matter how many times it may burn down. That was more than 50 years ago. See, I wasn't alive. Um, now that I think about it, it was around 50 years ago. The store was built. It stands there today in towering monument to the power of the state of mind known as a burning desire. Okay? The easy thing for, for Marshall, uh, Marshall Field to have done would have been to exactly what his fellow merchants did. When, when, they, when they were going hard, when the going hard was hard and the future looked dismal, they pulled up and went where the going seemed easier. 
You see, Mark, well, this difference between Marshall Field and the other Marchettes, because it's the same difference which, which distinguishes Edwin C. Barnes from thousands of other young men who have worked in the Edison organization. It is the same difference which distinguishes practicality all who succeed from those who fail. Every human being who reaches the age of an understanding of the purpose of money wishes for it. But wishing will not bring riches. But desiring riches with a set of mind that becomes an obsession, then planning, planning definite ways and means to acquire the riches, and backing those plans with persistence, which does not recognize failure, will bring riches. The method by which desire for riches can be transmuted into its financial equivalent consists of six definite practice steps. And I'm going to give you guys these six definite practice steps. I'm going to give you guys these six definite practice steps. So if you're able to take notes, I would highly recommend taking notes if you can. Okay? So first, you need to fix your mind the exact amount of money you desire or whatever it is that you desire. You need to fix your mind on the exact amount. It is not sufficient merely to say, I want plenty of money. Okay? But definite as to the amount. Okay? There is a psychological reason for definiteness, which will be described uh, later on in another podcast. Okay? Second, determine exactly what you intend to give in return for the money you desire. There is no such thing as something for nothing. There is no such, such, thing, such thing as something for nothing. It's one of my favorite quotes. Third, establish a definite date when you intend to possess the money or whatever it is that you desire. Fourth, create a definite plan for carrying out your desire and begin at once. Start now, whether you are ready or not, to put the plan into action. Fifth, write out a, write out a clear, concise statement of the amount of money you intend to acquire. Name the time limit for its acquisitions. State when you intend to give in return for the money and describe clearly the plan through which you intend to accumulate it. And number six, read your written statement out loud twice daily, once just before resting at night and once after arising in the morning. As you read, see and feel and believe yourself already in the possession of the money or whatever it is that you seek. It is important that you follow these instructions described in these six steps, okay, guys? It's very important. It is especially important that you observe and follow the instructions in the sixth paragraph that I just gave you. You may, you may complain that it is uh, uh, impossible for you to see yourself in possession of money or whatever it is that you desire before you actually have it. Here is where a burning desire will come to your aid. If you truly desire money so keenly or whatever it is that you want if you truly desire it so keenly that your desire is an obsession you will have no difficulty in conceiving yourself that you will acquire it the object is to want whatever it is that you want to do and to become so determined to have it that you can convince yourself you will have it only those who become success conscious ever accumulate success okay Success consciousness means that the mind has become so thoroughly saturated with the desire for success that no one can see oneself already in possession of it. That one can, sorry, that one can already see one's possession of it. Okay, to the uninitiated who has not been schooled in the working principles of human mind, these instructions may appear impractical. It may help, may be helpful to all who fail to recognize the soundness of the six steps to know that the information they convey was received um, from a guy named Andrew Carnegie, 
who began as an ordinary laborer in the steel mills, but managed, despite his humble beginning, to make these principles yield him a fortune of considerably more than $100 million. It may be a further help to know that the six steps he recommended were carefully scrutinized by the late A. Thomas Edison, who placed his stamp of approval upon them as being not only the steps essential for the accumulation of money, but necessary for the attainment of any definite goal. These steps call for no hard labor. Okay, guys, and there's no hard labor there. They call for no sacrifice. They do not require one to become ridiculous or credulous. To apply them call for no great amount of education. But the successful application of these six steps does call for sufficient imagination to enable one to see and to understand that accumulation of whatever it is that you want cannot be left to chance, good fortune, and luck. One must realize that all who have accumulated great fortunes first did a certain amount of dreaming, hoping, wishing, desiring, and planning before they acquired it. You may as well know right here that you can never have riches in great quantities unless you can work yourself into a white heat of desire for money and actually believe you will possess it or whatever it is that you want to possess if it's not money. You may as well know also that every great leader from the dawn of civilization down to the present was a dreamer. Christianity is the greatest potential power in the world today. I truly believe that. And I believe that because the founder, Jesus Christ, God, was an intense dreamer who had the vision and the imagination to see realities in their mental and spiritual form before they had been transmuted into physical form. If you do not see great success in your imagination, you will never see them in your bank statement or your bank pallets or whatever it is. Never in the history of America has there been so great an opportunity for practical dreamers as now exist. Okay? There's no, there's no greater time. The stakes represent a huge fortune which will be accumulated within the next 10 years. I believe that. The rules of race have changed because we now live in a changed world that definitely favors the masses. Those who had but little or no opportunity to win under the conditions existing during the Depression back then when fear paralyzed growth and development. We who are in this race for riches should be encouraged to know that this changed world in which we live is demanding new ideas, new ways of doing things, new leaders, new inventions, new methods of teaching, new methods of marketing, new books, new literature, new features of the radio, new ideas for moving pictures. Back of all this demand for new and better things, there is one quality which one must possess to win, and that is a definiteness of purpose, the knowledge of what one wants, and the burning desire to possess it. Guys, Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. Again, I am so sorry that it has taken me so long to get back and into the groove of this. Thank you again for tuning in with me, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I hope today was beneficial. I hope that this lesson was beneficial. Guys, you need to have a crazy desire to be able to do what you want to do because you can do it. Start seeing yourself in this moment right now. Okay? Start seeing yourself right now in the position that you want to be in. I look forward to having you again with me next week. Thank you so much for rating and reviewing. Please subscribe to this podcast when you can. Thank you for sharing on social media, and I hope that you will help get the word out. We get better. When you get better, those around you get better.
Thanks again for tuning into this episode of Bringing Value to You with Brian Quick. I want to answer your questions, so if you have any questions, I would love to hear about it. All you have to do is send me an email at brianquickpodcast at gmail.com. And for all of you who are helping me spread the word, I really, really appreciate it. To continue the momentum of the spread of bringing value to the podcast, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe to it on iTunes and tell others about it as well. Thanks again, and I will see you next time right here on Bringing Value to You with Brian Quick.